back to Tower After Hours. I'm Haley, your host, and today I have with me Kelly. Hello. One of our account executives and Grace. Hi there. Uh, one of our content marketing specialists. So how are you guys? Are you excited to be back? Yes. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I did a Tower After Hours episode. I felt like maybe I was blacklisted, but I'm glad, <laughs> glad to be invited back. Yeah, it has been a hot minute. <laughs> Um, but we are back with a new virtual setup so we can all create some new episodes, but also uh, be safe and follow CDC guidelines. <laughs> so for today, for our first episode back, we're going to be digging into the wild world of influencer marketing. Yes. Um, <laughs> so we've definitely seen some some interesting shifts um, in influencer marketing in the past few years. So today we're going to take a closer look at kind of how it's evolved and what influencer culture also looks like during a pandemic. We're not afraid to talk about it. We're, we're jumping in. Um, so guys, what have you seen lately that's interested you in the world of influencers and all that good stuff? Uh, I thought it was interesting. A couple months ago, Social Bakers released their annual social media report that they do. And it definitely covers mm -hmm. a lot. But one of the sections was looking at influencer market marketing. And this year, of course, it definitely changed because of COVID. Uh, and what they found was that during the pandemic, there's been a decrease in sponsored content uh, for influencers who are already partnered with big brands. So they have working relationships, you know, they have a schedule, they're posting for them, et cetera. There was a decrease in that and more brands were sponsoring what they called micro-influencers. So mm. they have smaller niche audiences. And typically, I mean, people are going to argue about the definition of what a micro-influencer is, but it seems like people can agree that's between 1,000 to 100,000 followers. And so <laughs> one of the theories... That's a crazy amount of followers, though. <laughs> I know. To me, I thought 100,000 seems pretty high, but... I guess when you really look sitting, at some of those big yeah. influencers. Yeah. I'm sitting here with like 200, like, oh, I could be a micro-influencer. <laughs> right? Like even getting to a thousand sounds <laughs> yeah. daunting, depending on what platform you're on. So yeah. yeah um, and the theory behind micro-influencers is that obviously they're less expensive. Uh, there's mm -hmm. some fun statistics out there. Uh, where influencers can ask up to like 60,000 to post a blog, or some of them will make 10,000 from one Instagram post. Oh, man. Just one post. That's why they all literally have the nicest houses you've ever yeah. seen in your life. Yeah. Suddenly it all makes sense. <laughs> yeah. But um, so it makes sense that with, you know, quarantine people or businesses specifically need to cut down their budget because they don't know what's going to happen. And some of them have experienced, you know, loss in sales. And so obviously micro influencers are less expensive, but they also, the theory is they're more in touch with their followers because they're more accessible, which I can see that. I think because they have a smaller audience, they're likely still commenting and engaging with more people mm -hmm. compared to like Kylie Jenner on Instagram. <laughs> like, sure. Yeah. She probably responds, but she's definitely not <laughs> connected to everyone that, you know, follows yeah, her. It's like the posts. The approachability factor, I think. Yeah. Like like it's not out of your realm to use a product or to 
you know, utilize a service where sometimes they're advertising like, oh, I stayed at this hotel in Dubai that's $10,000 a night. And you're exactly. like, okay, great. Oh, same What's girl. That? What's same. in it for me? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then that's the third benefit. They're more authentic because of that. I mean, they're likely not at the point where they're getting 10000 a post and living in a mansion. And so people can relate to the products that they're promoting because that person is living a lifestyle that followers want but it's not like unobtainable uh, depending what products they're promoting. I think uh, in terms of looking at influencer marketing long-term, it's a smart idea to do micro-influencers um, as opposed to hiring you know, the macro-influencers, we'll call them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually makes this kind of marketing more accessible for smaller companies, I think, because a small company can't afford to hire. Again, we'll use Kylie Jenner because that's easy. They can't afford to hire her, but if they do their research, they could definitely afford a micro-influencer and probably mm-hmm. get a better return on that investment. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting too, how you're saying about like Kylie Jenner is then you think a lot of these people now have the money that if they don't have a product of something that they like, they just make it themselves. It's so it's like hard now, like no makeup company can work with Kylie Jenner. <laughs> yeah. Even that'd be like an amazing... Uh, collaboration to do because she's doing her own yeah. thing. Yeah. So I think that kind of makes them not only inaccessible to the general public, but also to like the brands that want to work with them. That's true. So there's a lot of yeah. complex agreements that go into the people that are huge influencers. Mm-hmm. So again, and that works for the big brands. And there's definitely a group I'm sh- I can see that working for. But yeah, I I just think that if you're smaller and you're starting up. This makes that kind of marketing a lot less intimidating for your business. Yeah, definitely. Well, I took a look at maybe the least uh, intimidating type of marketing, which is the world of TikTok. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't know about you guys, but when you're in quarantine for how many months are we kind of going on here? Spent a lot of time on TikTok, maybe too much. Um, and if any of you guys have also been spending time on there, uh, you'll probably recognize some of these products. So a magic shaving powder, (laughs) we're talking about the ordinary solution, the Bissell little green, uh, all these products have basically gone viral on TikTok through kind of a new form of influencer. So the unique thing about these people is they're all unpaid. They just made a video about something that they liked in their real life. And it resonated with people because they knew it was unpaid. It was an authentic, Mm -hmm. I got this vacuum. I think it's awesome. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of this new breed of influencer that everyone was getting frustrated because people were selling, you know, the FabFitFun box or the belly (laughs) tee for the the third year in a row. And they're like, this doesn't work. I don't care. Um, And so I think now this is kind of bringing this new level of authenticity. Um, And it's appealing because there's no script, there's no brand standards they're being held to. And if there is something they don't like about the product, they just go ahead and say it. There's nothing for them to gain Mm -hmm. monetarily other than probably a following. So my interest comes in what do these people do long term? So they become an influencer. And a lot of these people now have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers on TikTok. Like I know the woman who originally showed the little green vacuum or whatever is like super famous on there now. But what happens to them long term? So now people like their authentic aspect, but at some point they have to accept money for that in order to make a living off of doing this, or they're not going to be able to do it anymore. So I think that's something that's very interesting to me is like, will they try to monetize what happens then? Will people stop believing them? Will there be kind of this bubble of authentic content 
that's only happening, like how you said, 10,000 to 100,000, is it only going to happen below that level? And are people going to kind of start dying out as they get more popular? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think in a lot of ways, it could kind of be like YouTube, where some people have almost gotten too big. And now they're not popular because they are too Mm -hmm. big. And they're trying to appeal to too many people that it's it's no longer interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I just think it's a pretty interesting uh, way to look at influencer marketing in 2020 in the middle of a pandemic, especially. Um, and also to look at the kind of revenue model that TikTok has. So I don't know if you guys know, they have basically like a creator fund. Um, so you can't like really advertise through any sort of like link really on TikTok. I guess you can, if you have a link in your bio, Mm -hmm. but there's not as much direct like hashtag ad on LinkedIn or in on TikTok. And so they basically have this creator fund that you can get paid out for views, for engagement, Um, and so people are using that and some people are kind of hacking it to say like, Hey, if you want to see this happen, everybody go like everybody go comment. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're kind of tapping into more of that fund than they typically get. So yeah, I think it's an interesting new model for influencer marketing. Um, maybe something that won't get as kind of stale and unapproachable as YouTube did where now every single video feels like it's branded, feels like it's an ad. Yeah. I was, um, doing a a little bit of reading on about TikTok because I thought, at first I thought our topic was TikTok. <laughs> so <laughs> I got a little confused. Look, we've all done a little um, reading on TikTok. But the one thing that I did read about was that brands are, you know, it's kind of hard for like a brand to get involved on TikTok. Um, but they're mm-hmm. using these influencers and then trickling down through, uh, you know, like an ordinary everyday TikTok user with these like challenges, like a TikTok's big on challenges and like one of the examples I saw was like some like Chipotle lid flip challenge um, where I didn't look too close into it, but like something where you like <laughs> take your container from Chipotle and like flip it or something or do something with the lid. Mm-hmm. And then like if you can get a few of those like influencers, I mean, I'm thinking more like in that like teen set of influencers, if you can get them to do that, then like everybody's like, take us to Chipotle so we can film ourselves doing this lid flip challenge yeah and i just think that that's one way that brands kind of i don't know subtly or some you know get influencers kind of on their side without even really probably having to pay them they just like let's start something cool and then the cool kids are going to do it and then all the kids are going to do it yeah Mm -hmm. i also think it's interesting especially when you look at the music industry with TikTok because I think it's mm. really good marketing for them, especially with influencer Definitely. marketing. Not that I like I can think over quarantine of songs that were suddenly in every TikTok and it was a new artist mm-hmm. who had maybe like one or album put out and suddenly yeah. their career took off because people were using their songs in the TikToks or yeah. um, the cranberry challenge. I don't even know if you would call it a challenge, but you're seeing all those videos go around of people, you know, cruising along to Fleetwood Mac and drinking out of an ocean spray bottle. And then I saw, though, the other day that uh, Stevie Nicks made a TikTok of her drinking out of one. And I was like, wow, amazing. Yeah. Because it was like, there's a generation that doesn't really know who she is. And now they know her song. Cranberry juice. And now probably all these kids are like, (laughs) I got to go get cranberry juice. Cranberry juice, yeah. and they're looking up her albums on Spotify. Like, who yeah. is this? So I it's noticed yesterday on Spotify that there is a channel just called Viral Hits, 
And I think it is just all the songs that, like, I know it's, I recognized many songs that I heard, like, coming from my kids' phones, like, all of quarantine. I'm like, hey, I know that song. (laughs) They even have, like, a TikTok hour on the radio. And I discovered this the other night and was, like, I felt appalled, but also... I enjoyed it because I liked the music, yeah. but then I also just felt very old. But they literally did like a mix, and it was like all the songs that you know from um, from TikTok, like the stunning one. Like yeah. it was literally just this like mix yeah. up mashup of all these songs. And so it's interesting because it almost I was like jarred because I was taken out of. I was like, wait, that's a TikTok song. Like, what's it doing in the real world? Like that was my instant reaction. There was also they used one in. Um, I forget what Netflix show it was, but I was watching a Netflix uh-huh. show the other day and literally they played one of the TikTok songs and I was like, wait, <laughs> where, like, where's my phone? Like, it's very strange though, because it all kind of exists in this bubble. Yeah. But yeah, it is interesting though, because I feel like on YouTube and in old, like I say old media, but I mean like Facebook, mm-hmm. it's Instagram to some extent, YouTube, um, there's like... A a video would go viral or a post would go viral, but now literally just like roller skating with cranberry juice has gone viral. (laughs) It's true. Or like playing a certain song has gone. And it's interesting because now they're really like, it's consumerism that's going viral. It's you have to have this product right now and it's selling out in every single store across the nation. So yeah. And everybody wants to do it. It's super interesting. Because those old videos, like Vine was funny and entertaining to watch, right? But people... Sure, people will, like, dress up as a vine for Halloween and mimic it that way. But you didn't see a couple hundred people jumping in to make the same vine. But you see it It all the time. It was for fun. Yeah, Yeah, there was no monetary, like, at all. And now I think that was almost maybe why it died out, because there was no revenue model for creators Mm -hmm. on there. Whereas TikTok, I think, has really, like nurtured especially small creators Mm -hmm. and said like we're gonna give you a platform to get big on here even if you're only getting a couple thousand views right now see what you can create and if people like it you're gonna make a good living off of it so yeah that's good yeah it's fascinating (laughs) um so uh, you guys had both already touched on this a little bit um but i'm gonna take a little bit of a more deeper dive into COVID 19 and how Mm. the um shelter in place orders and um, the general pandemic um, kind of affected influencer marketing throughout the US. Mm -hmm. Um, It's probably not a shock that it took a big hit um, because as Grace mentioned, um, a lot of brands were cutting budgets, um, campaigns and events that were previously scheduled for influencer marketing to be a part of um, were either being um, postponed or straight up uh, canceled. Um, one of the stats that I found was that sponsored Instagram posts, um, as of mid February, so before, you know, things really a lockdown in the U S were about, um, 35% of the influencer content that was on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And as of mid April, that had dropped to from 35% to 4%. Wow. Yeah. So, um, and then obviously Industries like travel and tourism took the biggest hit um, yeah. because it was it was really hard, I think, for influencers. You know, you kind of have to think this is their like source of income for them. But it was kind of super tone deaf of them to be like, swipe up for this mm-hmm. sweater, swipe up for this dining room set. Like yeah, when people yeah. were like concerned about even having a job or, you know, the health mm-hmm. of their family. So I know that some of the like people that I follow on Instagram, it kind of was funny to see them try to 
maintain what they were doing, but at the same time, yeah. act like they weren't, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, trying to just get people to spend, spend, spend. Um, yeah. so you saw people like really change course to be like, um, yeah, this super comfortable lounge set that I'm like living in yeah. all day because I don't get dressed for work anymore is on sale or, you know, don't we all need a great, um, set of noise canceling headphones, you know? So <laughs> they really like shifted, um, to things they thought people wanted, but it was still a little, I think icky and weird to be like swipe up so I can earn a commission as you order a new pair yeah. of slippers. Um, yeah. But there were some industries that just because of the way that people shifted the way that they lived during the pandemic, just naturally um, kind of succeeded a little better or flourished a little more um, throughout the pandemic. And um, so those Influencers were people in the fitness industry, people in DIY, home organization, um, cooking, baking influencers. Um, and I read this other kind of niche influencer that really took off during the pandemic, and it was the houseplant influencer. People went <laughs> crazy awesome. buying new houseplants and bringing something into their home that they could nourish and keep alive. I feel this. The pandemic. I so feel this on a level. Anybody who was a houseplant influencer um, really saw big gains. Um, oh, I feel that on such a level. <laughs> I follow so many houseplant people on TikTok. It's insane. Yeah. But it's, oh, um, I love it. So then by June and July, things, I think, started to rebound as people kind of returned to us a semi-normal state, um, we're able to, you know, kind of return to a, a few things that, um, you know, they enjoyed. Maybe people realized, you know, like, okay, I am going to be able to like keep my job. I do have a steady source of income. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm ready to spend again. So influencers are starting to see things, um, rebound. Um, and then one of the things that they, um, are doing still is, putting a spotlight on feel-good campaigns and doing mm -hmm. influencer partnerships that um, are a little more philanthropic. So, um, you know, touting brands that are, you know, maybe donating to uh, public health organizations, um, like Feed America organizations, and kind of highlighting those things as they start to bring branded content back into their um, schedules. So if yeah. you love houseplants and baking, you probably did great <laughs> during the pandemic. If your following was a lot of people who were watching you travel the world, you probably still yeah. aren't um, making out as good as you you would like. That's, that's interesting you say that because somebody who I follow, so someone from Bachelor, Bachelorette Nation, um, as you know, my obsession, <laughs> um, basically they are like, they used to live in a van and they would travel the world and that kind of like, that was their whole thing. And that was what they posted about Instagram. They had a YouTube vlog channel that they did this on. And so obviously that had to come to like a screeching halt during the past, I don't know, seven to eight months at this point. Um, and so they went on a trip for the first time to, I don't know, in Maldives. Is that how you yeah. say it? The Maldives, the Maldives. Mm -hmm. I'm not fancy enough to know how to say this, but <laughs> they 
it was so distracting. So they had, they put up the content and then there was this literally disclaimer that was a mile long that was like, everyone, before you start commenting, um, we got tested three times before we took off and we got tested within 12 hours of landing and we isolated in that time. And they had all this stuff, all this stuff brought to us. And it was like, so beyond what any of us would be able to do. I mean, maybe that is the future of travel that there's going to be this rapid testing before and after, and they're going to prepare you with room service and a, a room full of groceries and everything to get you through until you're, you test negative or whatever. But it came off to me as being so out of touch mm-hmm. yeah. because it was like, oh, look, you all are stuck in, in your homes with your families for the ninth month on, on the Rome. We're sitting on a beautiful private beach in the Maldives. Like, no. it's just very interesting yeah. now to see what comes off as appropriate and inappropriate when it comes to like online marketing yeah. and especially like sponsored ads. Yeah. So. And maybe they should pivot. I mean, that's definitely an industry that's hurting, but I've noticed, Mm -hmm. you know, local places are promoting and putting together packages to give people staycations that are away. Mm -hmm. They're like in your hometown so you can feel safe about it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they don't have a mile long disclaimer. They're just like, you get a a room that's clean. You get this food delivered to you. Um, And to me, that's like maybe one good way to try to get back into the industry after Mm -hmm. this. But to take yeah. a trip like that, far away, yeah. you know, it was no just one, so strange. that's just, I don't even know how that's supposed <laughs> to be successful marketing for them because people yeah. are going to get angry. Yeah. And it's yeah. not that you can make everyone happy online, but are people really going to see that and book their trip to go? I highly doubt it. Not anytime soon. I mean, you might, you know, kind of put that in your mental file for when you can travel yeah. again but I still think it's yeah. just like are you kidding me people like, but it just comes yeah. off like having to put a disclaimer like that almost ruins yes. the magic yeah. of people travel <laughs> yeah people in the comments were saying like this is a little irresponsible to like almost be like promoting this mm-hmm. and to say oh look it's okay you can travel it's safe because other people are going to do that and they're not going to have those yeah. those like protocols in place so yeah just interesting now kind of what's tone deaf and what is not well and i follow a pretty little london account that i like because they Mm -hmm. do a really good job promoting yes london but they do trips nearby and stuff and they focus to Mm -hmm. local like once this started happening they haven't been posting from other countries in europe they just do london-based marketing and they take the staycation angle um as well in their content so yeah yeah i that's rough yeah all right well i think that brings us around to the big question of today which other than maybe don't take a trip to the maldives (laughs) and brag about it uh if you were working on marketing strategy for an influencer or perhaps becoming one yourself what advice do you think i do you guys think is essential for 2020 2021 beyond what do we think the next kind of age of influencers is going to look like? So I, I guess I don't know about the, the new age of influencers, but I just think that if you are going to work with an influencer or if you are an influencer looking to work with a brand, I mean, it has to be a match because I think we've all Mm -hmm. like seen an influencer that we follow, like all of a sudden (laughs) just come out of nowhere with like, you know, one that I think of is, this is a, I, I don't follow her anymore, um, but, you know, she was, um, she had used to be a hairdresser, and so her content was very much focused on, like, beauty and fashion, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, like, she's doing, like, st- 
Dofer's like oven meals and like this is what I feed my <laughs> oh family my and it's it's you know if, if you're an influence and I will fully expect to see like swipe ups for makeup swipe ups for hair mm-hmm. stuff your sweater your shoes but to like all of a sudden be like hey um I don't know if I ever told you but I use bounty paper towels like <laughs> great <laughs> what <laughs> I mean I get it I would just it just it comes off as very glaring whereas there is I think a level of being sold to that viewers will accept but then there are some things that are so in your face and they just they don't make sense they're so jarring from your original content that I I do think that it like puts people off so I would just I guess as my big takeaway I would just be conscious of what you're accepting if you are an influencer or who you're reaching out to as a brand because it it just makes your product look kind of stupid too. Like, oh, like a minute ago she was like applying, you know, mascara and foundation and now it's like, we made a lasagna for dinner and it was Stouffer's (laughs) hashtag ad. Like, (laughs) That's one of those things to me that's so jarring when you can tell someone made a video solely to put a product in it. Like I, I, for life of me now, cannot remember what I was watching the other day, but it was so clear that like, I saw the video come up in YouTube and I was like, they made a video about that? Like that doesn't seem on brand for them. And then I quickly realized it was solely to get that product in it. So yeah, I think I totally agree. It has to match with your brand and with what you do and what content you're already putting out. And I would also say, I think it has to be something where I know so many companies say you have to use this language. You have to say, oh, this is available in 50 states and and continental US and all of this kind of crap. But I think honestly, the ones that I actually end up looking into or even buying, it's the ones where people say, I swear, yes, this is sponsored, but I had this before. This is my fourth bottle Mm -hmm. of it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the other ones I all paid for myself. Those are the ones that I think actually come off as being authentic. And so I hate when it's somebody who you can tell they're just reading the exact script that they were given by Squarespace or by ZipRecruiter or whatever. Um, And I think that goes along with too, just like knowing your audience. Like if your audience is teenagers, maybe don't take a partnership with ZipRecruiter because (laughs) they're not hiring anyone. Um, And sometimes I see that too, where I'm like, I'm questioning, am I just not their target demographic, but I thought I was, or is are they just picking random sponsorships? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I mean, I'll look at it from people who are trying to become influencers, or maybe they're at that micro stage, uh, mm-hmm. or they, you know, they blew up over something and now they want to start trying to monetize it. It's really important as far as their quote unquote marketing strategy goes that they figure out how they can prove their value because there is mm-hmm. so much spam and fakeness on social media accounts like Facebook they can't control you know they're getting better at it but they struggle to control fake news fake profiles uh same with Instagram you know all these platforms are going to struggle with that because there are people out there that want to make money off of influencer Mm -hmm. marketing so you know there's the whole buy followers Mm -hmm. approach so you need to make sure that I I think that's only going to keep growing prevalent because people are going to change how they create those fake accounts and then the platform's mm-hmm. going to have to adjust and try to go after them again. So it's really important yeah. that your strategy is to show how you got your followers and that it's legit, you know, like what does your growth rate look like? Because if you just went from like 20 people to a couple thousand, that yeah. looks pretty sketchy. Um, and I think if I was a company looking to work with someone, I'd ask questions about that. And then, mm-hmm. 
You also want to make sure that you can show the engagement ratio you're getting on your content because that's really valuable for Mm -hmm. businesses too. When they see that Mm -hmm. your followers, even if you have a smaller amount like that 1,000, if they see that like, you know, 80% of those people are engaging with your content, whoa, that's really good for them. So yeah, I just think bringing data into it will help new influencers. Yeah, I think it'll eventually probably kill off some of those bad brand fits too. Hopefully. Because I've seen videos where people are in the comments or even on Instagram with the post that people are like, seriously, (laughs) bounty paper towels, you really care? And they're like, well, that's funny because we look back two months in your videos and you were using a different brand back then. (laughs) And like people will call you out. It's the internet. It's it's mass sourced criticism. Yeah. And people are going to call them out if it continues. And it doesn't just hurt the brand. It hurts you. Like Kelly said, people will Mm -hmm. unfollow you. So if you don't think strategically about who you partner with and if that's actually a good yeah. fit, then yeah. long term you might be gone. Don't even try yeah, to eat lasagna because I will unfollow you. you. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, I think that just about wraps it up then. So thank you guys so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review or a comment wherever you're listening. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know how you like our new kind of format and uh yeah we're so excited to be back so uh thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time